Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the second part of our interview with Craig Jeffery from Strategic Treasurer, where we now focus on breaking down what an electronic payment is and what its journey is. Craig founded Strategic Treasurer in 2004 and is the managing partner of the firm. He also is the publisher of CTM File, a treasury news company. He is a fellow podcaster and you will find the links to the Treasury Update podcast and Open Treasury podcast in the description of the episode. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is an ACH, an automated clearing house, what is a wire, what is a real-time payment, how do all those work and how much does it cost to execute them, what is the exact journey of an electronic payment from the moment a corporate executes an order to transfer money until it arrives on the beneficiary account. And much, much more, of course. Craig is honestly impressive. His knowledge around payment is something and he's quite used to the podcast format um, with his own podcast and we therefore enjoyed the conversation a lot. We hope you will like it as well. If that is the case, why not leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app? It helps us a lot, allows us to interview more and more amazing people like Craig and makes Hussam and I very happy indeed. With all that being said, please welcome Craig Jeffrey. One, one last term, uh, we love to break down acronyms, uh, Craig. You mentioned RTP. Can oh, yeah. What that is? Yeah, real-time payments. That's a um, faster faster payment scheme um, that's through the, uh, the clearinghouse. So I'm proud to tell you what the clearinghouse or TCH is as well. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, well, I mean, maybe that's, that's a good way to just overall, Craig. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit because you say it so many times, like, it needs to be processed and it needs to be this and that. Could you, like, just break down overall what an electronic payment actually, like, is <laughs> and, like, what the various steps are? Because to an end user, it's just, you know, I send money, money gets received. Sometimes it takes, sometimes instance, some other times it's, like, three to five days. I never really know why. What what actually is an electronic payment at its core? Electronic payment at its core, I, I would say it's a it's a value transfer uh, instruction that begins and ends electronically. So it it never there's no physical aspect to it. It's a digital instructions to handle this. And you know that your question is 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 easy to answer and hard to answer, right? At the, at the simplest level, um, you send an instruction and it goes through, depending on which type of payment you're talking about, its journey, its rail can pass through different places or clearinghouses or networks before it actually settles, before the value is transferred in someone's account. So that's where you get hung up. Once you start to know everything that happens in the cloud, like you said, hey, I send money and they get it. That's great. That's like, I make a phone, like phone systems. If you ever looked at how people design phone systems and how they drew them in schematics, it's like, there's a call, you have a local PBX, private branch exchange, it goes into the local network. And then they draw this big cloud and then out pops the other side, the same type of connection to the 
other person you're talking to. And what is that cloud? That symbolizes all the switches, all the connections, all the protocols that happen. And it sticks out the side. It's kind of like, oh, that's magic. So in the payment side, and this is probably almost impossible for people to follow audibly, but like if you send a, if I send an ACH payment, who are the parties? I'm sending it to someone else in the US as a company. When I originate that, I have to send it to my bank and they call it the Originating Depository Financial Institution. And so they're a member of the ACH network. And so they, they put it through, let's say in this case, they're putting it through the, the Fed, you know, the central bank system, NACHA. So they're putting it through the ACH network. So they're putting it through the ACH network. The transfer moves over and then it settles in their, the bank's Fed accounts from the bank perspective. And then they post it, the receiving depository financial institution. In other words, Huan Payne's bank, the, the bank that, let's say my, uh, my supplier uh, gets the payment into their account. So there's, there's a lot of steps in there, but the other side just knows I got the payment. But how it traverses to get to their account can look differently. I don't know. The other complicating factor here, it's most of the payment systems that the U.S. has, there's separate, there's separate networks that can handle those. So like for wire transfer, you think of, you know, most, most countries use the central bank for, you know, payment settlement, payment rails. The U.S. does that too through the Fed. So like the Fed wire system is run by the Fed, but there's another wire system that your bank can use. It's chips. It's the, it's part of the clearinghouse. It's a private network. The banks own it, so they don't have to go through the Fed. They can go through their own private network. And same thing on the ACH side. You can use you know, the ACH network, essentially owned by the Fed, or you can use the clearinghouse. You know, it's a, a private network. So we, uh, I don't know if it stems from we're a certain size economy, if we're just so uh, independent, we always want some type of competition. And so we have two ways of settling ACH, for example, two ways of settling wires. And those are oftentimes decided by the bank unless they give the ability to specify the payment network. So that's why you might want to just draw a big cloud in there instead of all the, all the presentations that can go. That's perfect. What are those two ways of settling it? The ACH and the wire? You said there is two options every time? Well, yeah, there is, there's two options. So you can use the ACH network Mm -hmm. or you can use the clearinghouse. So both are ACH formats. They both, you know, follow the same type of rules. Um, but it's one goes through the clearinghouse, which is private and owned by the banks. And the other is the, through the, the fed system. And same thing with, um, you know, wire transfers. Well, same type of thing with, you can use the fed wire system or you use chips. That's also uh, a private network. We used to do that. I don't know if it still exists. It must, it must still exist today. It still exists today with checks. You can settle by presenting your checks to the Fed. Usually it's done by a, an image or you can use, you know, the clearinghouse for that. Yeah, I could tell you a story about 9-11 and what that meant for the, the Fed and all the checks that used to fly across the country on planes. And since no planes could fly, nobody could do the, the direct presentment. And so they dumped all of the checks at the Federal Reserve Bank who had to give them availability, but the Fed couldn't get them physically delivered to the other places. So they just sucked it up, um, you know, to the tune of massive sums of money. 
right? It's like, oh, this network won't use, we'll use our failover network, dump it to the Fed. <laughs> but so wait, what happened? Has the money been settled in the end or on the top? Oh, the, yeah, they had to give, checks aren't instant, so the money doesn't transfer instantly. There's, right. there was availability schedules, right? Because there's inefficiency, it would take, you know, one to three days to move across the country and for the, the payments to be presented. So you'd have these availability schedules. The Fed offered availability schedules, and this is all historical, so much more historical. So if you dump the checks there to the Fed, they gave you availability one day or two day, two day availability of funds based on where the check was drawn. But that assumed normal operating additions, and they just had to they had to honor that as the clearer of checks. So is that kind of like why there is this secondary system? Because I mean, why would the banks want the Fed involved if they can just do it themselves? Is it just like a fail-safe and that's why it's still sticking around or? Secondary systems, are, they're owned by the banks because they can, they can oftentimes do things more efficient, more quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting, the Fed has to do things for all of the banks. You know, in the U.S., I, I don't know if there's six or 7,000 banks in the U.S. I could have mm -hmm. queried that. We have less banks all the time. But they do things for every single bank. But many of the bigger banks can get together and say, we we clear so many ACH between ourselves. If you look at the trillion dollar banks, we clear so many ACHs between ourselves. The Fed charges this rate. If we pay into this group, we can do it for way less than that. And so they all do that. They'll clear all those items there. And so it's just mm -hmm. it's it's an efficiency play to set up the private, the private settlement methods, primarily. Very cool. One step back from that, Craig, why do I need a clearinghouse in the middle in the first place? Like, can't just one bank just send money to the other? What's this intermediary? What's the actual purpose of it? So certainly you could send money. So how would you, how would you send the money? I mean, usually there's the, there's these accounts that they maintain at the central bank. And so when they send money to one another, what are they sending? They're not sending physical goods. If they send money, it's a, they're sending instructions that say, you know, what I owe you and what you owe me changes. And so if we have accounts with each other, we can do that and just change our, our individual balances between those on a bilateral basis. You know, every uh, bank is going to be, let's say a participant, you know, with the Fed. And so they have accounts with the Federal Reserve. And so they can use those, those balances as opposed to having running balances with each and every other bank so that, you know, your balance at the Fed is a easier way to do that than to have uh, balances at every single bank that you would deal business with. I don't know if I got to your, to the core of your question or not. So the way I understand that then is, I mean, yeah, if you look at it as an individual transaction, you could perhaps do like one account to the other, but because so many are happening simultaneously, you just kind of like change the old amount between them. And if the, the Fed has all these accounts, they can just like, settle everything inside the Fed accounts instead of actually transferring money from, you know. Exactly. Uh, JP Morgan to Chase. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's someone who's like a, if each bank had an account at the other and they both held money at the other bank and then they were going to be sending money to each other, how would they do that? They could say, we agree on a, a I'm going to move $1,000 out of my account at your bank to this person that someone on my side is paying someone at your bank. And so they take a thousand dollars out of my account in your bank and move it to Joe Smith or whatever. We move it to that account. And so it's, that's how we pay 
a customer um, or a vendor at your your institution. And so that would mean that we have accounts with each other. That will be a massive three count for uh, banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or split twice. I don't know which one is the most no. used in the US, but that's that's a big deal. We wouldn't we wouldn't use that. It's kinda like it's it's kinda like to the extent of why don't we do direct phone calls? It's like we have a separate line running between, you know, the three of us. It's like if it's just two of us, you run a wire between our houses and it's like, great, we can talk. Now we got three. So I've got two wires, you've got two wires, everyone has mm -hmm. two wires. They add another person now. Mm -hmm. It's you know, instead of six, it's now, you know, you just keep expanding it. So this is a, it's just a, a way of netting and settling that activity uh, more efficiently using the, the central bank or using the accounts at uh, uh, the clearinghouse. I, I like that analogy. That explains it very, very well. Thanks. Craig, sorry, but you, you should think amazing knowledge at us. So uh, we just make the most of it. Um, where does SWIFT sit in all this? Where's the link? Is it separate? Is it an other payment trail? Or is it sitting in between above as an overlay? Can you help us understand it? Sure. Swift is a standard setting body for like formats. There are also, so they help set up methods of communicating and formats. They're the second of multiple items. I'll just talk about this for context here. Is they're also a messaging network. They support, you know, messages. So there's non-repudiation. Someone can't say, I didn't really send this. I did send this. So it's all the instructions that primarily banks use with each other, but also corporations can send to, you know, banks so they can initiate payments or receive information. So they're a, they're a giant network or a hub. They don't, they don't actually settle the money, but they get, they deliver all the messages that are required to settle all the money. So it's kind of like, um, communication, like, even though if I send instructions to Swift to my bank to move money from here to there, the message tells my bank to move it. And the bank's like, okay, I'm moving this via Fedwire. I'm moving this via chips. I'm using this via taps in the UK, whatever. It tells you, it gives instructions to the bank how to move it, or the bank decides how to move it for them. So the execution is on some actual payment rail. But the messaging network is very, very commonly swift for many, many companies. Um, and, uh, you know, in the U S people do use swift for payments in the U S as a messaging. Um, they tend to do it less frequently. They tend to go you know, directly to the bank and say, use this Fedwire. They'll send a Fedwire format or they'll send the ACH format or some other instruction. Super clear. So swift is the messenger. And the clearing house will have the settlement. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for example, like if there's sanctions going on and you, and someone gets cut out of Swift, that means they can't send messages and it's like, you can't communicate, right? You can't communicate. That's not, that doesn't stop the, the settlement, the, the actual settlement rails, but it, it stops how people communicate about things. So mm. it's pretty essential for moving money. And banks communicate with each other through SWIFT very, very heavily on a global yeah. basis. Super clear. Okay. Back to those ACHs. I'm, I'm really curious to understand it better. So we have an understanding of what it is and how it works. But if we get a little bit into the, the nitty gritty details, like what is actually the processing time 
of a payment executed through ACH. Um, you mentioned earlier the cost. What's the cost of an ACH? Is it cheaper than other, like a wire, for instance, or RTS? Yes. Uh, and so it's it's really cheap. Yeah. So in in normal, you know, very moderate volumes, you might it may cost a dime or twenty five cents, ten to twenty five cents. Really high volume activity, it gets driven way below a dime. Um, okay. It becomes very very inexpensive to move that. It's a batch system. So the time frame is um, generally it's overnight. So you can send a, you know, send instructions now and you say the settlement date will be tomorrow, the settlement date will be next Monday or Tuesday, and the settlement date will trigger when the funds move. But the normal ACH is the regular ACH ages since 1974 uh, are always, you know, next, next banking day uh, or beyond. Now, say the ACH would start in 2016 allows, you know, within given windows, this, this batch process, this batch process still works, but they incremented additional windows. So instead of just waiting for overnight, they have other windows that they can process and settle on uh, the same day. Those are yeah. you know, banks obviously charge a little bit more for those because there's a separate speedy cycle and ended different process. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned the limit earlier. What, what was it again? Is it 1 billion is the maximum amount you can use? No. What was it again? So on a single ACH, the yeah. the record, the field can handle up to um, what is it? Uh, it's it's just below a hundred million. So okay. it's it has enough and record below. for six, seven, eight, nine. I don't know if there's a period in it or not. It might might be eleven characters or twelve with the decimal point. So it's probably um, twelve with a decimal point. So that's the that's the limit there. On a same day ACH, though, the limit is capped at 1 million. You usually do the speed and the you know concerns on on fraud. So just like most quicker payment schemes they they start low and they keep increasing. So I think that's the third level they're at. I think it started at 25. I think it started okay. at 25,000 moved up. Is there a difference between an ACH transfer and like a wire transfer? Yeah, so two things. There's there's a a revocable part of an ACH transfer. Though, so if there's a, a fraud or an error, there's a certain amount of time that a company or a consumer can respond. So, if there's an error, maybe I was um, they were they were debiting my account for the gym membership, and uh, and I canceled it, but they kept debiting it. So, there's a period of time I can revoke those and say these are unauthorized. So, ACHs have a revocable. Uh, time period. It's, it's extremely limited on the corporate side. Whereas wire transfers are irrevocable. You can't force it back through the payment system. Once a wire is gone, you can ask for it and you, you might have to go a legal, legal route to, uh, to get it back. And so those are, those are two of the differences. The cost is different. Think of wires as wires are oftentimes 10 to $25. If you do really high volume, it, it dips quite a bit below that, but it's a more expensive process and, and the transfers. Once they're approved, are um, essentially immediate, mm. but what, they have to be approved by the bank, and so that that will take a little bit of time usually. How much how much time do you have to revoke uh, a payment like this? Then, like, what's what's the window? Five minutes, ten minutes, an hour for for a wire? Yeah, none for an ACH. Then, <laughs> but for an ACH, um, usually it's a. Uh, Boy, I, I can't remember the exact rules, but like on, on a consumer, usually you have enough time for when you get your bank statement at the end of the month. You have a you have a, 
a bit of a, you have quite a bit of time. You know. On the bank side, you want to be checking your accounts every day because mm -hmm. the, the window is really short. You do not have a week. It's like you want to do it every single day because the, based on the cutoff, it's, I think it's about two days is the max. And um, so you want to check every day to make sure you get the window if there's a problem. So is that driven by the mechanism of a wire? So do they not have rules? Is it it's driven by the rules? So how is a so does a wire transfer between two bank accounts also have a central, like common entity that's tr uh, settling them, or is it like mm -hmm. a direct transfer? What's what's the process difference between a wire and an ACH transfer? The ACH is is batch, so you're sending in you're sending in a file. Let's say you're paying a thousand employees, so there's a a single file that goes in that has credits to a thousand employees, um, and it, it has an offset to your account. So your account will be reduced by the amount of payroll, and then all those individual amounts will eventually make their way to the end consumer. So that batch goes to your bank, and they submit it through, let's say, in this case, Notcha, and then they will deliver that to and the ACH network to deliver all the settlement that settlement information to the banks of those 1,000 people. The Fed wire is an individual transfer. And so you send it, and let's say they decide they're gonna send it through the chip system, you know, or Fed wire, so that you, you send a single instruction, gets approved, it gets transmitted to the Fed system, and it settles between the two accounts that the banks of the sender and the receiver have. And then the receiving bank takes the funds that they received and post it to the recipient's individual bank account, so they handle it for them. So that's um, that's really a quick process for the, the settlement there, because it's done on like individual account by account basis and not like as a batch process. Yeah, it's all it's it's much more real time. This the stuff's processing constantly, so it's moving as quickly as as they can once it once it hits the. The thresholds that it's approved and the bank submits it into the Fedwire system or into chips, it goes extremely quickly. Okay. And and is there a similar similar field limit on the wire system? I don't know that there's a I haven't been so close to looking at formats on Fedwires for, for quite a few years, but I do remember some banks had limits like you you couldn't do you know, you couldn't, you could do up to a billion dollars per wire. And so you'd have to do, like, if you had to do a $4 billion wire, you might have to use four or five transfers. I don't think that's a fan wire limit, but I, that's something that could be looked up. I, I, I don't know. Um, on that I forget to order. No worries yeah. at all. Um, okay. So, and you would choose to do a wire over a, an ACH because of the nature of, wanting an individual transfer like because if it's more expensive um but it's probably quicker well it just it's just based on your need it might it might be based on contractual requirements like when we settle okay. this or our, our bond payments our bond interest payments the the recipients like you got to do those by wires i don't want them called back if there's a you know a concern about bankruptcy or some dispute um so they're usually driven by contracts, but it's it, contracts and then driven by the need for something to be irrevocable, something that can't be uh, returned. And, and they always go through the Fed network or do banks also have their own uh, private networks? Uh, so it can go, 
wires can go through the Fedwire system or through the clearinghouse chips system. So those are the two. That's the private one. Private is chips and the 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 federated the federal system, central bank system is Fedwire. Is chips like chip and pin chips or fish and chips chips? What, what kind of chips? <laughs> it, it's it's like it's all chips. chips and then it's a word and sounds the same. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> uh it, it i think it's yeah you're you're breaking me on the definitions we we get used to these acronyms yeah. forget <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's, it's a, corporate treasury 101 craig 101 <laughs> you're breaking <laughs> me. i should have i should have put those down there it's like uh, so google says clearing house interbank payment system that sounds good i knew the clearinghouse part so but uh <laughs> yeah makes sense yeah. so it's so it's maybe it's not like the fish and chips <laughs> like Christian chips, or she'd be just a little bit hungry. So, great. If if wires are so instant, uh, you just need the bank like approval to go ahead with it. What's a RTP then? You said it was a real time payment. Like, is something faster than instant? How does that work? Well, there it's a it's a the wire transfer system and, and the ACH network. Those are quite old systems. They're you know over forty years old. Um, so they're designed with technology that works a certain way. RTP is essentially instant in terms of delivery. And while the limit's a million dollars, it costs uh, about a nickel to use that system. And so it's really rapid settlement. You can include you know, some more uh, information about the payment. So it's, it's easier to integrate to. It's more expandable. You know, As a new payment rail, it's new tech, right? So you know, it's like we're talking about payment systems like it's like phones like they're all phones they all transfer money but some are less expensive some are better it's like we got a, a landline phone we got an old bag phone we have really old cell flip phones and we have some today's smartphones there's a there's a significant variety of what's out there for payment systems so rtp is a a new new system up since 2017. yeah so oh, it's as recent as that yeah What's different in the mechanism behind it that enables it to be faster? Well, it's it's a it's a payment uh, system. I just call it like a payment network or payment platform, um, which you know operates. I'm trying to think of how I would say this. I'm not an expert on how it all operates, but you know the the newer tech. When we think about uh, payments. Uh, how payments are made, it's, you know, it's like there can be greater visibility. You can put more information in there. You know, yeah. if you think about things that sit on Azure or Amazon Web Services, you have all kinds of additional capability, function, speed, scalability that is very different from some of the linear approaches that all of the older payment systems took or most of the, uh, the, the transformation that take place in the technology supports the payment process as well. Just like everybody's moving to S4 HANA from um, from an earlier version of SAP, it's like it's it's a different type of platform that's you know that's not uh, ancient. Craig, I have my my consultant senses uh, tickling. What's uh, what are the the costs of RTP versus wire? I would imagine they are higher than an ACH, right? Because you you mentioned that it would be the cheapest option, likely. What are we talking about in terms of cost for why? You yeah, they're pretty water? standard. They're like four and a half cents. There's okay. a couple other things. So it's, it's pretty cheap. It's they're, they're around the cost of a, 
of an ACH. It depends on the volume you're doing. The higher volume you do ACH, you get it down. It can go quite a bit below that, but um, it's fairly standardized at four and a half cents. So it's it's pretty affordable. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, are there any other electronic payment types that we didn't mention that are used in the U.S.? In July of 2023, the FedNow system is supposed to be live, and that's been confirmed by them. There's a Amazing. latent. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> uh, the default the default will be 100K limit, but the, the physical limit is supposed to be half a million, 500,000, and that'll cost 45 cents uh, a transfer. So that's probably a whole nother 101 episode. Indeed. Uh, that sounds expensive, though, compared to the three other payments we just, payment methods we just mentioned, 45 cents. Well, expense, yeah. So what's the total cost of transfers and what you have to do to monitor and track? When you look at the total cost, these newer ones are really, really quite good. When you look at the older mm. systems and what you have to do to communicate, to pass information, to share, to connect to other systems, it's uh, it's fairly transformative, but that you have to look comprehensively at that. But um, yeah. yeah, 45 cents is 10 times four and a half cents, of course. Um, right. But depending on what you're trying to do. But. Okay. You mentioned quite sometimes batch payments, especially for the ACHs. What's, what are that? What are those exactly? So, so batch payments as opposed to individual payments. So batch and forward systems, that's like uh, the ACH network. It's like you do payroll or you do AP. It's like, hey, what are we paying today? Here's my payment run. And I'm making these 50 payments or 5,000 payments. I send a single file as a batch. And because it's batch, it can process you know, in the most efficient manner, not the quickest manner, but the most efficient manner. And that's why it drives the cost down for those. The other, the single entries, the the more individual, like a wire transfer, I enter it onto the bank portal. As soon as it's approved, it settles on an individual basis. It settles to your account on an individual basis as well. So if you do a payroll settlement, there'll be a debit to your bank account. That debit will be for the entire amount of payroll in mass. It won't have the, the, the 1,000 employees have individual debits, it'll be a single debit for the, the $1 million. Yeah. Okay. Super clear. So Craig, thanks so much. I, I feel like, you know, we love getting to the nitty gritty technical details about how things work. So definitely been super informative in that aspect. Can you bring each of those? So we focused mainly on the um, ACH, the wire transfers and the RTPs. Can you bring each of them back to corporate treasury? So as a corporation, if you're paying suppliers, uh, doing payroll, paying your bills, gaining payments from your customers. Um, what are the um, considerations that a corporate treasurer needs to take when looking at these different payment mechanisms and which ones they want to be focusing on? What What's driving those decisions? Things like uh, the revocability is a concern, the cost, not just the cost from the bank standpoint, but the total cost of the process. And that involves how, how are we communicating with our trading partners? How are they communicating with us? Every payment is reconciled. Every AP is an AR. Every transfer has a recipient. And they're, they're recording and reconciling those in different systems. So, you know, what information, how, how rich that information is that travels with the payment matters. So those are, those are some of the considerations. The other probably more practical considerations are what types of payments types does our formats and types does our 
payable system manage our treasury system, our AP system, our admin system. So those are those are some of the concerns. Like, oh, we can't we can't support twelve payment systems. We we've got three. We want to add a fourth one. So those are um, those are those help drive a lot of those decisions. And and the richness of the information point is quite interesting. Um, is that just from like a system requirement point of view? Because you just care about like the the APs and the ARs, or is there any other like data that transfers that would be valuable to a corporate treasurer, like in their ability to understand and optimize their their treasury systems, or is it really just to execute and make sure the the machines can talk to each other? That information. Yeah, I think I think it's both. It's one is so that it um, it executes and settles properly, so it goes to the right account. Uh, but then if you're, if you're talking about receivables, they want to assign and apply, they want to assign it to the right, you know, who's paying them, assign it to the right customer, and they need to apply it to the right invoices. And so there can be differences, short pays, changes, errors, whatever. So making it so that the, the, the defects that occur to change the amount are fixed or communicated and so that it's clear what are we paying for. Because if you don't say what you're paying for and they get this payment, what happens is you're no longer electronic. Now you're hyper manually. Like someone's calling up and say, what is this payment for? They're sending an email and there's delays of latency issues of delays of time and following up. So if you look at, if you really look at the end to end process, you want to send enough information so the other party can do whatever they need without having to contact you. As a receiving end, how do you monitor that? Because for the payments you sent, you want as less trouble as possible, I guess. You don't want your suppliers to come back to you, hey, I didn't receive these, or it's not in the correct format whatsoever, having an error message. But when it comes to the payments you receive, so the collections, can you really, on top of, well, getting money from your client, tell them, hey, look, it needs to be this specific format with this specific information so my system can reconcile properly? Or how does it work here? Well, since the customer is always right, it's kind of hard to force them right. to include all that information. So, so they may say, we would like you to send the information included in the addendum records in an ACH, include a, an EDI BPR segment in the ACH so that our system can automatically apply it on a detail level. Or you have a pain format, you want all of the instructions of what they're paying for to follow the XML format that exists. You, you can ask that. And banks have a whole, banks and you know, integrated receivables providers and and others have a whole process of combining multiple payment types, multiple sources of information that may or may not travel with the payment. You know, so you may have a payment that includes all the information about it, or they may send a payment by itself, and then maybe they email, you know, the information about the 15 invoices they're paying for with the short pays or discounts. So yeah. marrying that information together and then processing it as a it's a good business to be in.